0: Our gospel lesson on this sixth Sunday after the Epiphany is from Matthew chapter 5, part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, and I'll begin with verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raha is answerable to the court and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, sometimes difficult to understand the truth of your word. And so, Lord, we need your guidance to open our hearts and minds to understand its truth, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, to apply it to our lives. And that is our prayer this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> it's not easy preaching on the Sermon of the Mount. It is so rich and so deep that uh, uh, this morning, as I, as I read this passage again, I, I'm overwhelmed with so many things that could be said. And, and so this morning, you need to know, I'm just taking just a slice <laughs> through this passage and not everything that could be said will be said today, and you should be thankful for that because we'd be here uh, through dinner tonight um, uh, or I should say supper <laughs> um, <clears throat> if, if we were to do that. Uh, so but it may be helpful um, to have your to have uh, your bulletin there on the back side is, A outline. Uh, It may be helpful to have your Bible open to follow along, and I will be quoting many other scriptures, and it's best to allow scripture to interpret scripture here, and so we'll be doing that. I'll be uh, quoting many scriptures, and those are all in the outline, except for the last scripture I'll I'll quote uh, from Romans chapter 3, and that's not in your outline. I just a gift this morning. (laughs) For me, this passage is somewhat painful to preach. One of the things Jesus said, just one, uh, deals with anger. And I have had to struggle with anger in my life. Anger that has deeply hurt some who are close to me. Anger that at times compromised my witness for Jesus. And so, part I'm preaching to myself here. Let me give one small example of that anger. And this is just one of many I could give, but... Years ago, I worked for an office machine company. At first, I did sales, and then later was placed in charge of their in-house shop, which uh, prepared uh, the uh, equipment that had been sold for delivery to customers. And one time, I got angry at one of the sales associates for not doing his job properly, which meant I couldn't do my job right. And so I dressed him down thoroughly and humiliated him in front of others. And my manager took notice and uh, took me out for coffee. And if you know me, I don't drink coffee. And he said, doesn't matter. Uh, You're coming with me. We're going to (laughs) talk. So he took me aside and he said, uh, and I'll never forget the The words he said, Tim, they're just copiers. It's nothing to get upset about. His lesson to me was clear. Relationships are far more important than things or getting your job done right or your own ambitions. Our witness for Jesus is much more important than our own priorities and our own desires. Our witness for Jesus is in living out the righteousness of Jesus. Our witness for Jesus is living out the righteousness of Jesus. And last week I said that the law was fulfilled in Jesus and that we cannot keep the law apart from him. And Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That was from last week's lesson on Matthew 5.17. We are able to live out the righteousness of God's law by the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus has already fulfilled the law for us. And we're told that in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, for what the law was powerless to do, God did. Sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The righteousness of the disciple, which is our theme for today, the title of the message, the righteousness of the disciple is not legalistic righteousness, but spirit-empowered righteousness. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the disciple is righteous on the inside. That's our first point there, if you're following along on the outline, righteous on the inside. And verse 20 says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a very strong statement. Bible teacher R. Kent Hughes paints a picture of what Jesus' audience would have thought about that statement. To quote the average person on the street, the Jews of Jesus' day, this was absolutely shocking. The scribes and the Pharisees made obedience to God's law the master passion of their lives. They calculated that the law contained 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions, and they tried to keep them all. How could anyone surpass that? Martin Luther echoes that statement. In the whole nation, no class was so highly praised and no title so highly honored as that of the Pharisees and scribes. If you wanted to call a man holy, you would have called him a Pharisee. And so Jesus says your righteousness has to exceed what most people thought were the holiest people that there were. The Pharisees looked good, however, on the outside and did good things outwardly, but our Lord looks at the heart. According to Jesus, they were dead on the inside. Jesus indicted the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, saying, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of of the bones of the dead, and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And Jesus, so Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Our righteousness is meant to be a righteousness from the inside. John Stott wrote, Christian righteousness is greater than Pharisaic righteousness because it is deeper being a righteousness of the heart. Jesus said of the Pharisees in Luke 16, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. And we can do the same thing. We can justify our actions and ourselves. We can can look good and do good things, but God's looking at our hearts. I think of the uh, Psalm 119 and our Old Testament lessons. Uh, It says, Seek him with all your heart, that seeking God with all your heart is the precursor to following and obeying his commands. Or in uh, Moses' words in Deuteronomy 30, first he says to love the Lord, with all, uh, the Lord your God with all your heart before you can walk in obedience to him. Those are just thrown in here this morning. And so the righteousness of the disciple is a matter of the heart. We need to be righteous on the inside. Jesus then went on to give examples from the Ten Commandments to show that true righteousness is not outward conformance to the letter of the law, but an inner righteousness of the heart. The disciple is to be righteous in relationships and uh, that's the second point the second truth we find here look at verses 21 and 22 you have heard that it was said to the people long ago you shall not murder and anyone who murders shall be subject to judgment but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raha, which uh, translated um, in our modern vernacular would mean, you airhead, literally means somebody, empty-headed person, Um, and uh, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, shall be in danger of the fire of hell. At the core of righteousness are relationships. First, our relationship to Jesus and to our Heavenly Father, and then our relationship to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and then to everyone, including even our enemies, as Jesus will later deal with in this chapter. Bible teacher R. Kent Hughes commented, this text is one of the foundational passages on human relationships in the Bible. Bible. Jesus begins with a prohibition against the ultimate fracture of human relationships that takes place through murder, but then supplies his own teaching which goes far beyond the mere preserving of life to the preserving of human relationships. It is significant that the first account of anger in the Bible led directly to the first murder in the Bible, as we read in Genesis chapter 4. It says, uh, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door like this wild beast. Uh, It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I could say a lot about anger, but let's just suffice to say, um, is anger in itself sin? Ephesians 4.26 admonishes, in your anger... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Some translations, be angry, but sin not. Well, the Gospels tell us that Jesus was himself at times angry, but categorically, he never sinned. His anger was always righteous. And we may think our anger is righteous. But James 1.20 warns human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We will always feel right about our anger. We always think when we're angry that we're right. But our anger... But uh, our anger, uh, but our acting out on our anger never is right. (laughs) The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Jesus continued with this application, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and uh, there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, uh, leave your gift there at the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, Jesus did not say if your brother or sister has something legitimate against you. He simply stated that, that you... Uh, he simply stated that if there is a conflict with a fellow believer, no matter who is wrong, then it blocks our relationship with God. Most people think that they are in the right even when they are grossly wrong. Jesus said in verses 25, Uh, In 26, uh, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you that you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Uh, all those maze in there just says to me that, you know, you know whether you're in the right or wrong is still kind of to be decided there. But regardless of who is in the right or the wrong, settle this matter while you are still together. Uh, you know, I see this all the time at the jail. Many inmates lose at trial instead of taking a plea agreement because they truly believe that they're in the right. The problem is is that they can't convince the jury of that, and so then they're sentenced to a long prison um, uh, sentence. Uh, But you don't have to be charged with a crime for this to be true for you or I. The fact is, our Lord judges by a different standard. And reconciliation is a treasured value in the kingdom of heaven. And so, you know, we may think we're in the right, but again, you know, God knows our hearts and he knows all things. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us how important reconciliation is to God. And as I, I, I think of this, a lot of these words were in our, our Sunday school lesson downstairs today about being reconciled and being um, uh, to one another and about relationships and the importance of community, and it gets echoed here. So 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of Reconciliation. The cost of that reconciliation, you know, is, was very high. And as I often quote from 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become the righteousness of God. No matter who is in the wrong, Jesus is saying be reconciled to one another. Right relationships are the foundation of right living. We need to be righteous in God's sight, not in our own sight. Jesus then addressed perhaps the most important human relationship, and that is marriage, by teaching the disciple to be righteous from the heart. And that's our final lesson today, and you might note that That's a lot like the first point, being righteous on the inside, and and I think this is indeed the heart of the matter. Verses 27 and 28, uh, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Broken relationships, broken marriages, don't begin with a act of adultery, but they begin with thoughts of adultery. Jesus focused on the heart of the matter, our own human heart. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. It all proceeds from the heart. And we could despair of that, and we need to realize that a heart transplant is required to live righteously. And we think, well, how can I how can that happen? Well, way back in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, the Lord promised just that i will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you i will remove remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh god has been in the business of heart transplants for millennia And so the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts begins to produce the Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Let me get that right. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, so begins to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Verses uh, Galatians uh, chapter 5 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self control and against such things, there is no law. Now, going to verses 31 and 32 of our text, dropping down there, uh, Jesus protected the relationship of marriage by teaching God's original design. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The law allowed a man to divorce his wife, but Jesus is revealing a higher standard for kingdom living, one that reflects God's design for the marriage relationship. And So in Matthew 19, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hardened, were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together Let no one separate. Now, there's many things that could be said about adultery that I cannot deal with today. But the key issue for us this morning is that the righteousness of relationships and uh, the righteousness of our relationships and right relationships depends on having a right heart with God. It begins with a heart. Going back to verses 29 and 30, Jesus warned of the seriousness of sin that leads us away from right living. And these are this is a very difficult passage. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell? Now those listening to Jesus knew that he was not advocating physical amputation. He is speaking in mid eastern terms and saying this in the very strongest possible way that we are to cut anything out of our lives that will lead us to sin physical amputation is both unscriptural and ineffective. He's saying that which is most valuable to us, you know, if, it, if it's leading you into sin, get it out of your lives. He's not talking about the physical, but the spiritual. This is a matter, as Jesus has been saying, not of the outward, but of the inward, as we have been noting. The issue was not about hands and feet and eyes, but our, about our hearts. Johnny Erickson Tata, one of my great heroes of the faith, when she first became a quadriplegic, when she lost, first lost the use of her arms and legs, and of course then her hands and feet, uh, admitted that... In the hospital, she wrestled with horrible, lustful fantasies. It's not our bodies that cause us to sin, but our hearts. Jesus is saying that if the things that we look at, the things that uh, the places we go, uh, the um, the things that we do. If they lead to sin, then cut them out of our lives. Cut them out of your lives. Get rid of those actions that feed lustful desires, that feed the sinful desires of our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 exhorts us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It all begins with our heart. Sin, if not dealt with, can lead us away from our most important relationship, our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, and can cause eternal separation. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, don't let anything come between you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus warned about hell more than anyone else in Scripture. The Sermon on the Mount in fact, ends with a stern warning against those who have the right form of righteousness, but without a personal relationship to Jesus. And so relationships, first and foremost, our relationship to Jesus is the foundation of righteous living. And we are to guard those relationships at all costs. It is only in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can live righteous lives as disciples of Jesus. It is a righteousness that begins within, in our hearts, and it's a, relation, a righteousness that's lived out in our relationships. It's only because Jesus has fulfilled the law for us that the Apostle Paul could write in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, but now apart from the law, The righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The righteousness of the disciple is first and foremost a relationship of faith to Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, it flows out into our lives as our witness to others. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know we are not righteous, O oh Lord, not apart from you. Thank you that by faith you have given to us your righteousness and imparted that to us, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit you are enabling us to live this righteousness out in our lives, this relationship with you out in our lives. And Father, let nothing hinder that. And Father, help us to amputate those activities and, 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 uh, and um, uh, places uh, that we, we would go and that uh, uh, the things that we might be looking at to get them out of our lives so that nothing comes between our relationship with you. Nothing leads us into that sin which becomes more important than you. And Father God, help us by your power to live our lives fully for you, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we might be faithful witnesses of your righteousness in Jesus' name, amen.